Live from Chatterbox Sports Studios, it's Off the Bench with Tom Brenneman. Well, good morning, good morning, and a pleasant good Monday morning to each and every one of you. We welcome you, as always, to Off the Bench, presented by United Dairy Farmers. I'm Tom Brenneman. A pleasure to be joined, as always. Back in the saddle, Casey McAllister, after a trip to Bloomington, Indiana. Yeah. Little 500. Little 500. It was a great time. It's big time. Me and Trace got to experience something new. It was a big deal. Really big deal down there. Paulie held down the fort beautifully. Paulie, good morning. Hey, Tom, how are you? Good. We had a big day on Friday. Sorry we missed you guys. We got a lot coming up here, and we got to get right to it. You can find us. We're on 10 a.m. to high noon, Monday through Friday. You can find us on YouTube, the Chatterbox Sports page. You can find us in podcast form. Just search off the bench with Tom Brenneman, and you're dialed in. Now, you may remember. We talked on Thursday about what the Reds would do over this weekend. They were playing a team a lot like themselves in the Pirates. Low payroll, a lot of young players. Yes, some veterans sprinkled in here and there. But there is nothing, absolutely nothing, that these two teams have in common right now when you watch them play. Pittsburgh is 16-7. and seven. The Reds, 7-15. and 15. One team comes to play every night. The other clearly does not. It's not like the Pirates blew the doors off the Reds in four games over the weekend. In fact, the games were pretty tight. But when all was said and done, the Buccos swept the Reds, capped off by yesterday's 2-0 shutout at PNC Park. Hunter Green was good, really good. Six innings, four hits, one single run that came in the first inning. But those numbers were good enough to get Green a loss. Why? How about six total runs in the four games in Pittsburgh? How about six total runs in their last six games without a single home run? I mean, are you kidding? We wondered at the start of the year if this team could ever score. And they did score for the first couple of weeks. But outside of a blow-up game here and there recently, this team is hitting exactly the way we thought they would and the way the back of their bubblegum cards read. And it is sad to watch. The Reds return home tonight to face one of the best teams in all the baseball, Texas. The Rangers' run differential is plus 60. That's second best in the majors to Tampa Bay. And Texas is 14-7. and seven. Nathan Avaldi goes against Nick Lodolo at 640. Gentlemen, tickets are available. It'll be chilly down there tonight. Speaking of the Rays, do they ever lose? They tied the major league record by winning their first 13 games. They, they had that stretch, one loss to the Reds. They lost three out of four. And now they've ripped off five straight wins. 18-3, and three, the record. Downtown mayhem Saturday night. Another game, another sellout, another win. For FC Cincinnati, 2-1 over Portland. FC is tied for the best record in the Eastern Conference with New England. And guess who they play next? That's right. They play at New England that Saturday night. NBA playoffs. Cavs are in big trouble. They trail the New York Knicks three games to one in their best of seven opening round series. The Knicks defense has just completely smothered Cleveland. Game five is Wednesday night. Other winners yesterday. Golden State hung on, luckily. To beat Sacramento, 126-125. That, season, uh, that series now even at two apiece. Boston up 3-1 on Atlanta. Minnesota got Denver. 
but the top seed Nuggets are a win away from closing out that series. The Milwaukee Bucks are hoping to have Giannis back for game four tonight in Miami. The top seed Bucks trail two games to one against Atlanta. Another critical game for tonight. Pitts Memphis in L.A. The seven-seed Lakers lead the Grizzlies, a two-seed, two games to one. Winners in the NHL playoffs last night, Carolina and Houston both win, lead their respective series three games to one. Dallas and Edmonton got wins to even their series at 2-2. All right, coming up on the show today, legendary writer from the Cleveland Plain Dealer, Mary Kay Cabot, to talk about the Browns. Brownies! The stinking Browns. Yikes. Uh, by the way, Mary Kay is a nominee for the Bill Nunn Jr. Award that goes to uh, the Pro Football Hall of Fame. She will find out if she'll be elected on Wednesday. Uh, she's probably not here yet, I'm guessing. No. I flew through that monologue. Um, it was chaos downtown Saturday night. I had to go down to a charity event for the Cincinnati Arts on Saturday night. And it was at Music Hall. And so I'm driving down there, you know, thinking, okay, I know the regular spots I'll be able to park yeah. when I get down there by Washington Park, you know, right in the garage underneath oh, yeah. there, right? No. Full. People everywhere. Blue and orange. I had to drop my wife and a buddy off at Music Hall and then drive 11 blocks around greater Cincinnati to find a single parking spot. Crowd's amazing. Yeah. And they it's just been a really good season for them at home right now. The Orange and Blue are going to come out and support their team when they're doing well. And they haven't had a lot of success there at TQL. You know, they've had a lot of draws, a lot of losses there. So the wins they really get the crowd going out there. So I, I, I wouldn't expect anything less from TQL right now. Nope. Uh, yeah. Similar to Tom, I was staying at an Airbnb for a wedding that was downtown in OTR on Saturday night. And the Airbnb we were staying at was right across the street from Washington Park, right there. And I had forgotten that the FC game was at home. I knew they were playing Portland. Thought that game might have been on the road. Then I realized it was home and the streets were closed. And it was it was a nightmare, but it was it was a fun environment. I got down there, luckily, a little bit before the streets were closed. But then by the time I called the Uber to get up to Rheingeist, Poor guy was going, I need you to walk around the block. The, the roads are closed. The roads are closed. It was a good crowd, though. Another sellout. Another sellout. Yeah. Another good win. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing. I still have not been in that stadium. I got to get down there. You got to get there. Before. Yeah, I got to get there. I got to get there because they um, – I, I was just amazed. And, and maybe I shouldn't be because I know they sell out every game. But I just couldn't believe the amount of people. I tell you what, man, this city's got it going on. I know we have our issues just like a lot of other cities. Ours aren't as bad as a lot of other cities. And there are others that are in better shape than we are. But I will tell you, when it comes to going out at night, going to restaurants, if you're going to bars, if you're going down to the soccer game, that area of OTR is just unbelievable. It's unbelievable. I've traveled cities literally all over the world. And in recent years, we've seen chaos where you don't even, there's no way in a million years. And look, 
over the Rhine has their share of violence. There's no denying that, okay? Uh, and you're never going to end that entirely no matter what you do. But I don't know how many cities uh, at 9, 30, 10 o'clock at night in the most happening area of any particular city, uh, city for young people, right? I mean, there are families walking around down there at 9, 9, 30, 10 o'clock. Young couples with strollers and their kids. I mean, I tell you what, they got it going on down there. The area has definitely transformed. I mean, I remember being a kid from a, a rural town like Blanchester hearing about OTR back in the day. Nowadays, it's, it's a great spot to go. It's awesome to go down and, and to, to eat, drink, have a good time. Yeah. I know one of my favorite spots down there in OTR is, uh, we were just talking about the other day, that barbecue spot. Oh, uh, Lucius Q. Yeah, Lucius yeah. Q. I love going down there. Yeah. They got a little ice cream joint right across the street from there. Yes. Too. Yeah, that's, yeah. A, that's a good date spot. I like going there. You ever been down there, Tom, Lucius Q? Uh, I've walked by it. I've not okay. been in there. It's good. I know what you're talking about. They Great. always have a big crowd down there. Yeah. Yeah. So so speaking of events, I was looking at this this yesterday because I one of my friends and I we were talking about trying to get to an FC game. And the next, like, three Saturday games that they play, I can't get to. And I looked. They have a game on July 1st at home. Oh, we know what that is. There is also – That's Ella Brenneman's birthday, but we also know what's going on that night. Well, not only – is that the Taylor Swift concert happening that night? That's night two of Taylor Swift. Mm -hmm. There is an FC home game. There is also a Reds game that day. Oh. Ooh. That'll be Red happening, man. The Reds game's at 140. But that, but 140 into a Taylor Swift into a FC, July 1st, it's a Saturday. City's going to be popping. I tell you, I wonder if the town can handle that. And I'm not being, like, you know, mean about that when I say it, but I'm being sincere. I mean, just on Saturday with an FC game down there and all the other events. I mean, you just named two huge things yeah. in FC and clearly Taylor Swift taking the cake and the crown there. But a Reds game during the day. Um, I man, I wonder how they're going to handle it. I, you know, you got, the, you got the concert, you know, much further downtown, obviously. Yeah, I think they'll be okay because if you think like the Oktoberfest and stuff like that, when they'll have a Bengals game or a Reds game on the same day as like an Oktoberfest, usually those games try to be out of town. But like Miami and UC football played this year on the same day as on the same Saturday as Oktoberfest. I mean, did you just say Miami? Yeah, but I'm saying it was at Paycor. That game. That game oh, that oh, game Miami at, against UC. Yeah, I'm at, sorry. At, okay, at okay, at, okay. That that Paycor game was down at yeah. It was was down there the same day as Oktoberfest. So. Yeah, it'll be popping in the city that day. That will be a huge day. Yeah. Uh, we've got some regulars back in the chat today. Everett, back. Ohio Lakers 513. Is that a newcomer that I've missed? That, that's someone I haven't really seen much of. I mean, he's dialed in. He's dialed in. We appreciate it. Thank you. Absolutely, we appreciate it. PB's ghost and our main man. I got to tell you, CJ's back. But how about Sir Boy Wonder? We're going to have a little, uh, he is going to be today, uh, a little video clip of our buddy Sir Boy Wonder 513. After Mary Kay. So we're going to cap, cap off the Reds talk. Yeah. 
Can't I mean, wait for that. Sir Boy Wonder, he is uh, all the rage. All the rage. Now, come on, Everett. He said literally one sports event this weekend, and the city could barely handle it, along with charity events. And we want basketball in the NHL. Come on now, Everett. Don't be so negative. Don't be so negative. Is Mary Kay here yet? She's not here yet. She's not here yet. Okay. Well, she hasn't written me back. I hope she's going to join us because um, we got a lot to talk about with your Cleveland Browns. Because they do not have a single – I didn't realize this. I mean, we've been so focused on the Bengals and the whole, you know, quarterback thing and, you know, who's going to take who, Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud – we bounced around the league. The Brownies do not have a single pick in the first two rounds. No, they, they traded those away with that, uh, that trade for Deshaun, yep. right? Um, it's the second year in a row they haven't had a first pick in the first two rounds. Yeah, I guess they decided to model their, their team after the Rams and just kind of go all in and trade for a bunch of superstars. Well specifically a superstar quarterback, but we'll see if it works out for them. I'm, I'm not too hopeful, hopeful for them, but they're the Browns, Tom. I have reached out to three different people. We may have to go with back to our buddy uh, in Gravens. Yeah. Because I have reached out to three very prominent media members in Baltimore and not a single word back. Hmm. They must be um, – you know, but now you talk about a downtown that's gone to the toilet. Oh, oh my God. They got curfews in that town. What? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Draft starts, of course, Thursday night. Um, the player formerly known as Mouse Cop says C.J. Stroud is dropping like Bud Light. He is on a lot of people's boards. I it's all out because of that cognitive test that he took. He scored like a 18% out of 100 on the cognitive. How do you get an score? 18%? I don't know what that test is. Uh, well, it, is that the Wonderlick thing you're talking about? Yes, well, the Wonderlick thing. It's a new version of the Wonderlick, right? Yeah. They got rid of the Wonderlick, and then this is what replaced it. Yes. But it's the same idea. It, it's trying to accomplish the same thing as the Wonderlick. Okay. And apparently quarterbacks that score below a 50 don't even get come close to making it in the NFL apparently yeah 18 percent yeah 18 percent well anybody believes it's trials dropping out of the top four they're out of their mind oh it's I, not happening I don't think so either but. not happening he's too good on the field way too good way too good all right well um let's see here I'm gonna double check real quick make sure it didn't go to spam or anything like that Nope. All right. We'll see. We are waiting on uh, Mary Kay Cabot uh, from the Cleveland Plain Dealer. Uh, while we have a minute, fellas, what we're going to do, you and I, now, th this is not a done deal yet, but theoretically, Casey, you came up with an idea about maybe what we should do on Thursday, NFL draft coming around, right? Right. And that Paul... And you and I, and this is probably news to Paul. He wasn't in the room yet. Right. Where we were going to pick three players each that we thought would be available when the Bengals 
draft picks come around for the first three rounds, first, second, third rounds, right? Right. Three players each, and then which one we would take if we were in the Bengals' position. Correct. Yeah. Okay. And the idea of it is to kind of give a a like we might have some crossover. I'm sure one or two of us will say Michael Mayer. Maybe one or two of us will say Darnell Wright or or Dewan Jones or something like that. But it's an in order for us to kind of get an idea just really quickly, like a five, 10 minute, maybe 15 minute segment about who to expect at round one, two, and three, what names could be there, who we would take as the Bengals GM um, and do a little, just do a little uh, semi mock draft, but not fully in mock draft of the Bengals. All right. I want to interrupt. Cause I, I have made, I have screwed something up here. There was an email from her that I missed late very late last night where she said uh, she would prefer to do Tuesday rather than today. Okay. So that is my fault. That is not her fault. So tomorrow, uh, Mary Kay Cabot will join us uh, to talk about the Browns. All right, look. Um, so, P- Paul, you're on board with that? Yeah, it works for me. We're good? Yeah, so we're picking nine players, basically. Well, basically, yeah, we're going to choose nine guys we think are going to be around. Sure. Okay, and um, and then at that point, uh, if you were sitting in uh, Duke Tobin's spot, Katie Brown, Blackburn spot, whomever is going to be the one that does the, the picking uh, or the combination thereof, uh, which of the three – would you pick as we sit here today and i want to get to the reds here in a minute as we sit here today are you leaning more and more towards an area now duke tobin made the comments the other day at the press conference he says look we don't play that game we don't reach for a player we believe is a second round talent and try to fit a need by making that player a first-round pick. He said, because you can draft him wherever you want to draft him. But if we've graded him out with our scouts and we believe the talent bears out a second or third-round pick, they're not going to be a better player just because you picked him in the first round. Right? Correct. Okay. So, if, um, if you sitting here today, Casey, and we have three days from now, for you to make this determination, and Paul, you as well, looking at the roster and the makeup of the roster as it currently stands, you would be leaning, all things being equal, you would be leaning more towards what position area first round? Um, so based off of that concept of trying to not reach for a player and taking best player available, I think the most likely position that will be open to the Bengals that fits those parameters would be, in my opinion, Dewan Jones, but we're, we're not going to go there this time. I'm going to say probably defensive lineman, edge rusher. Okay. Or corner. That's what I think will be there. That won't be a reach. Not tight end. You think the good tight ends are gone? I think the good tight ends will be gone. Or at least the, 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 the top, top, top guys. Yeah. I think Mayor. Kid from Keith, Utah, Mayor, yeah. those guys, right? Yeah. I think those two will be gone by the time the Bengals pick. I wouldn't draft a tight end in the first round anyway. How about you, Paul? 
I mean, I wouldn't be against it if you've been listening to my takes for a while. I, I like what Mayer would bring. I think it's there's also the, the hometown effect of it, too. I, I just think there's a little something there. But if you've also heard me talk about what this team needs and what I'd like to see the Bengals get, it's a pass rusher. I would love to see the Bengals be able to, pre to pressure the opposing quarterback better than they have in the last couple of years. Consistently. Yes. Consistent pass rushing. Yep. Maybe I overvalue it, but I... It's just what I think. It'd be nice to go out there and see them week in and week out get some good pressure on the quarterback. I don't, I don't think there's any way, shape, or form you're overvaluing that. I mean, just take the very premise of what you're talking about, okay? And, and this is a tr the case in basketball. It's a case in football. I watch a lot of lacrosse. It's the same thing there. It's the same thing in hockey, okay? When you apply pressure to human beings, and I'm talking about physical pressure and and if you apply enough physical pressure it then becomes mental pressure okay if you're a point guard in basketball or you're just a player on the wing and you've got some guy that every single time you touch the ball they are on you like you know what stink on blank right and i mean they are they're physical and they're they're just they're they're forcing you to do things in, in a hurry, right? Some guys handle it better than others. That's just the story of life, and that could be the pressure of having to meet sales numbers if you're a sales guy, the pressure of having to face a deadline on some proposal, whatever it might be. Okay, but when you're talking about physical pressure, a quarterback will make by far. More mistakes under pressure than the guys that can just stand back there and feel good about what's going on around them and not having that mental part of, oh, my God, I'm going to catch this ball in the shotgun, and I've got about two and a half seconds, and then I'm going to get killed by 300 men with violence on their minds. And the Bengals have not had that pass pressure. Not like that where other teams are very concerned. The Bengals' defense was great last year. We said all along, we thought on, at least, at least I said all along, that I thought it was the best part of the team, despite the offense getting all the glory and all the big names and all the stars. The defense last year was good enough and was good enough to win, not get to, to win the Super Bowl. The offense was not good enough last year to win the Super Bowl. Part of that was the offensive line being unable to hold up. And, yes, there were a lot of injuries. But, Paul, I don't think you can put enough uh, emphasis on it. you got guys that are going and hitting that quarterback. And, I mean, you may be a step late sometimes, but you light him up. They're looking around. They're looking around. And they get gun shy. Right? right. Yeah. I agree. So – I think you might be on to something, Paul. I mean, I don't know. I, I, I find it so weird. I, I was going through, you know, Casey was talking about pro football focus, and they ranked their top, what is it, 200 prospects, whatever it was, yep. and going through there and looking at some of the guys, pass rushers, that are going to be available when the Bengals pick in the first round, second round, third, and, you know, some of the strengths and weaknesses on each player. I mean, look – I. You know, when you start getting into, and I can't remember the kid's name. He's from Iowa State, I think it is. Will McDonald. Okay, I, you know, I, I, I'm not smart enough 
to know when they tell me in this, you know, little capsule of the guy um, that he played in a different sort of system there at Iowa State, right? He's better in space, okay, because yeah. he's a little light, right? Yeah. Or maybe I'm confusing him with another guy that I was reading about this morning. But, you know, to me, I, I don't know what that means. I don't – I mean, I can read it and know what it means, but I don't know what it means when you put him on a field. Is he a guy you can line up on the edge out there on the outside? And, okay, he might have played a certain, you know, style in a certain system at Iowa State in this case or somewhere else, anywhere else. I mean, is he going to be a guy now that is going to get to the quarterback? Right. I mean, I think – at least in the Bengals' defense, they, they like to have big edge rushers, guys that can they can depend on to set the edge, and guys that, you know, are will always carry out their responsibilities. Um, they're not going to go and get guys that are 235, 240 to try to just only pass rush. That's just not their M.O., um, that's why Hendrickson and, and Hubbard have been really good for us, I feel like, for, for a while now. I mean, they're not, you know, they're not your Miles Garrett's of the world, and then they're not their the the dominant pass rushers, but they always seem to be able to carry out the responsibilities, get good run stops, set the edge, carry out the responsibilities every time. Um, a guy like Will McDonald, I he, he's a bigger, longer guy. So you might have been thinking of Nolan Smith. That's a guy that's smaller. That no, that's the, the guy from Georgia, right? Yeah, that's the guy from Georgia. Okay. He, uh, he plays that wide nine, almost linebacker type role where he can drop into coverage. Yep. Um, but back to Will McDonald because I don't think – Which, Nolan by the way, I don't mean to interrupt you. Yeah. I, I've never understood that nonsense. I really don't. The – weight thing well no the drop the guy I mean isn't Trey Hendrickson's job to get to the quarterback that's his job yeah right right Sam Hubbard that's his job why in the world do they drop these guys back in coverage go get the quarterback you pay those guys to do that job find somebody else to cover somebody in cover I know you're disguising and all that I get it but when you know the other team is getting ready to throw the football, you are paying guys big money, in Hendrickson's case, to go get the quarterback. Right. Right? Yep. I agree with that. I think, you know, I, part of why Lou was so successful against the Chiefs was because of that only rushing three, dropping nine, or dropping eight, however you want to. I can't remember. It's dropping eight, I believe. But And that was very successful for him. And he would have someone spy the quarterback, and they would contain Mahomes. And Mahomes wanted to try to rush outside the pocket, realize he couldn't do that, and, you know, waste too much time. And then they would eventually get to him. But this last game in the championship round, um, it just felt like that was not working. That he was, you know adapting to that sort of play style to where they couldn't just contain him in the pocket anymore. He was staying in the pocket, yep. letting it rip. And in the end, he, they only scored 23 points. Let's be fair. That's I mean, why they, I say their defense was good enough to win a Super Bowl. Right. I, and it's, it's not like the scheme is bad. It's, it's pretty, 
pretty reliable up to this point. But in terms of player personnel and whatnot, I mean, you would think a guy like Nolan Smith, who can also sometimes play the run, not not as dominant as a Hubbard because the size difference, but a guy like Nolan would be much more acclimated to be able to do that sort of thing where he can drop back in coverage because he's athletic enough, but he can also do a much better job at pass rushing because of the speed there. Yes. But anyways, it's a very interesting conversation when it comes to pass rushers. I personally don't think the Bengals are going to go with a guy that's undersized. They're probably going to go with someone much more like Will McDonald, who's taller, has a longer wingspan. Yeah, that's their MO. That's their MO. Yeah. Um, but, you know, that you're not going to get a guy at 28 that's going to add more juice to the pass rush than you would, you know, at five. You know what I mean? Like, you're not going to get a Will Anderson or a Tyree Wilson. Right. So it's it's tough. It's tough to to pick 28 there for a guy that's going to change the pass rush. But, you know, some guys fall. Like, look at T.J. Watt. He was like in the, the, the back half or the back, you know, 75% of the first round. He was like top 25 pick from the Steelers. And look at him now. He, he's one of the best pass rushers. So I'm not saying it's impossible, but, you know, it depends on who the Bengals like, body types and whatnot. And... All right. Um, let's, um, let's take a quick timeout. When we come back, we're going to get into the Reds. Yep. Oh, yeah. Let's talk some Reds, Tom. Absolutely. Let's talk Reds. I got to tell you, uh, it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing. I mean, it really is. It's sad. I mean, everybody knew it was coming. Everybody knew it was coming, me included. But this is, you know, I... We take the break, and Ham and Eggers, you're going to take it. I, I, I want to ask you about, do you trust what they are doing down there? Okay. Okay? Do you, you know, the Bengals right now, and look, I'm not one of these guys, okay, who, who just rolled out of bed yesterday. All right? The Bengals for a solid 20-plus, 30-plus years. I wouldn't trust them to throw a baseball from you to me on anything they did, okay? The majority of this franchise, they have stunk. Stunk. I mean, there was a solid two decades there until Marvin got here where it was brutal, okay? Almost two decades. And then Marvin came in, and to his credit, he got this thing turned around in a heartbeat. They took a flyer on some guys. That most of them worked out. Um, and he got them to the playoffs a number of times where they never won a game. The last three years, and it's only three years, the last three years, I think all of us sit in this room and we say, you know what? I trust what they're going to do. Right? Right. For the people they have in place. Duke Tobin, Katie Blackburn, Troy, I, the way they've sort of, you know, been a part of this organization evolving, going out and spending money in free agency. Mike Brown doing that. You know, one year he did it on the defense. Next year he did it on the offensive line. 
there's a trust there that, look, there's no guarantee their 28th pick in the draft is going to be a star or a starter or even a decent player. But you know what? Right now, don't you trust them? You trust them that they know what they're doing, that they're going to do the right thing. You trust them that you may not agree if they let this player leave, Jesse Bates, Von Bell, Hayden Hurst, but you trust that they, they probably have a good backup plan here as to what they're going to do. All right, and they've made some of those moves, and we'll see how it all plays out. But with the Reds, the Reds are now going on the last time they won a playoff series. Playoff series was in 1995. Were you guys, I'm being serious, you weren't even born yet. Nope. No, I was born in 96. I mean, there are, you know, how long can you, you, you continue to rest on the first professional team, the big red machine, the wire to wire of 1990. The last time, you know, they, they even really celebrated a team. They had a couple of good teams there under Dusty who just flat out choked. They just choked, period. Call it whatever you want. That's what they did. They choked. They were up 2-0 in a best of five and lost three in a row at home to the Giants. And they had the best team in the National League that year. But do you trust what they're doing down there? No. When I look at their lineup right now, they have one player on the team next year that has a guaranteed contract. Now, certain guys are going to stay because you have them under control. But when you look at that lineup, and all of a sudden, you know, all these guys who are not going to cover off the ball. And I'm talking about regular guy, India. That, that, that number's starting to con continue to start. 370, 320, 290, 280. Stevenson, 350, 330, 320, 250. Knocking on 240. And those are the two guys that you're building the rest of the offensive team around. India and Stevenson. Looking ahead to next. Forget this year. Although we're going to talk about this year. All right, lots to dissect there. Hammeneggers! Take it away! It's that type of the show, the ham and eggers. These guys are great, trust me, I would know. I introduce all the best segments. Talked a lot about the Bengals here, obviously. The Bengals Report is brought to you by Encore Technologies. Encore Technologies provides IT solutions for a data-centered world, data world with a suite of services from mobile computing to desktop to data centers, supporting both centralized and work-from-home computing models to improve efficiency and... Productivity. Visit Encore.tech. The path to innovation begins here. There's also a premium, new premium, alkaline water out. It's Pawnee. Um, it's a great way to get hydrated after a night out. Absolutely. Can confirm. <laughs> Made right here in Hamilton, Ohio, Pawnee uses natural limestone filtration. Unlike the artificial processing that many other brands use, the result is a healthy alkaline water that is also the best tasting water in the world. Visit their website at pawneywater.com. That is P-A-H-H-N-I water.com. P-A-H-H-N-I water.com to see where you can buy this great tasting water. Bet with Betfred, get your coffee from UDF, drink Pawnee water, and get your technology solutions from Encore.tech.
Yes. If you don't have anything that you want to seriously talk about, there is one thing I have to talk about that's NBA related. Well, okay. Hold that thought. Okay. Subscribe to the show on YouTube here. Like the video if you have not already liked the video. Make sure you go in and like it. Helps us out. Helps the video out. Helps the show out. And also, you can find the show on any podcast platform, just like you can find all of the Chatterbox uh, podcasts, all on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, anywhere you listen. Go subscribe. This show, Off the Bench, just it's just a steady rise up, just continuing to climb the podcast numbers. So uh, make sure if you haven't already, this show is always available. If you miss anything and you're, and you're driving and you can't watch it back on YouTube or whatever it might be, you can listen to the show in podcast form. Go ahead, Casey, with the NBA. Well, I just wanted to say, can, can the Grizzlies actually prove that they're a good team? Or will the Lakers just steamroll them again and then they're the laughing stock of the NBA again? Lakers are rolling. Lakers are rolling, in my opinion. And Dylan the villain. He stinks. I mean, he was calling out LeBron saying, like, this old man, I can cover him. Dylan hasn't done crap. No. Nothing. Just a lot of talk. Just Try to get yourself fired up, and then nothing happens. So, no. Grizzlies and, are frauds. So, I'm looking forward to watching that game today because I'm looking forward to the Lakers dominating because they just seem like they – it looks like to me the Lakers are catching fire at mm-hmm. the right time, which is always a, a good sign for these teams in the NBA. You want to catch fire at the right time and make a – Serious push and a run. But anyways, that little segment, the Hammond Angers segment, a little NBA talk there. Uh, yeah, the Nuggets almost came back, swept. That was a great finish. Nuggets were down 12 with, I think, less than two minutes left. I was watching that. Yeah, I, I was watching it. They were down 12. I almost took the live money line. I haven't, I haven't dabbled in a while, but I almost did it just for fun. Came back, 12-0 run in the last two minutes, tied the game, sent it to overtime, but the, the uh, T-Wolves did end up winning. So, uh, All right, Tom, let's, let's get back to what we were talking about here. Reds. Yeah, I'm, I'm just reading some of the comments in the chat. Out here. Okay. Just to ch- check everything out. Are we, we going to start this segment off the right way? Yeah, let's start it on a high note because one guy who took the time to get in his car, he's a transportation guy. That's our buddy, Sir Boy Wonder, 513. Uh, Did you see this over the weekend? Let it roll. Pre-game set of GABP presented by Kroger. Zero hunger, zero waste. Visit reds.com slash tickets. Was that earlier Sir Boy Wonder and Mapo here at the game? What's up, guys? <laughs> See them all the time uh, outside of the lot on the way out of the ballpark. Regulars at GABP. Jonathan India. Sir Boy. There he is. Sir Boy. With his mom. She joined the program last week. That was nice to have her jump on. Was that the day, Casey, you were here or no? I was yeah. not. Or, well, I was Friday. in the chat, but I was yeah. not here. Okay. Yeah, I mean, uh, how cool is that? That is really cool. Mr. Sadak pointing it out that uh, Sir Boy was there with his mom. That was very, very cool. It was cool. I, I thought we were going to use that for the cherry on top, but we got something even better for that later on. But we needed to start it on a high note because there's not much 
good to talk about this Reds team. I mean, they needed to win this series. They needed to at least, you know, win three games so we wouldn't have to talk crap about them. But there's just nothing good to talk about at all. Everyone's in a slump. But I'm not going to take, take over that conversation. I want you, Tom. Paul, I want to hear thoughts? your thoughts on it. Um, here's the thing about the Reds, and this is something that we said from the very beginning this year, is that the record of this Reds team was not going to matter. And you asked the question, which I thought was a good question before we went to break, do you trust what's happening downtown? Do you trust the vision and what the Reds are trying to do here? I think that Nick Crawl has this team headed in the right direction. I think there is a level of trust that he needs, obviously, to build when the team has been so miserable for as long as they have. I mean, the fact that they haven't won a postseason series in the time that we've been alive, that is an entire generation of fans that they have not built. They had success, but they, you know, Reed and, and Casey and I got into a, a pretty interesting discussion last week about what the most successful team in Cincinnati has been since the year 2000 what the most successful team in the city has been. And immediately the first thought that came to mind was the Reds. And then the more I thought about it, the Reds haven't done anything since the year 1995, 1996, 1995. They haven't done anything. And I do, I do look at what the Orioles were doing two years ago when I was in their organization. And I remember talking to so many different guys about within the organization i'm not talking players the guys the scouting guys the analytics guys the guys that were behind the scenes that were building the franchise and what they were doing none of those guys cared about what relative relative i don't want to make this seem like they don't care about the product on the major league field the priority was what they were building in the minor leagues i remember reading that story about theo epstein and how when the cubs were really bad and the early 2010s, Theo Epstein is up there in the, uh, you know, he's in the suite at Wrigley Field. And yeah, he's watching the game. He's at every game, but he's also got every minor league game on the TV. And he just kept saying to everybody, all the guys that were in the suite, don't worry, it's coming. It's coming. It's, it's happening. It's coming. And I don't know if I have that same level of confidence that I would have in like what the Orioles were building or like what Theo Epstein built with the Cubs. But I do think that there are enough potential prospects in the Reds organization right now between CES, between Ellie De La Cruz, between this, this Abbott guy that's burst onto the scene this year. I mean, maybe he's had a, a great minor league career, but at least from what I've followed and, and really read about this year, he's had a fantastic season so far, just got called up to AAA. The Louisville Bats are an outstanding minor league team as far as excitement and generating excitement for what this Reds team could be. Look at all those names that are in the Louisville lineup right now. I do think that the Reds are headed in the right direction. The problem is that the fans are never going to be able to trust anything that this team is doing until they actually show the results on the field because there's no trust factor at all built up down there at Great American right now. There's none. They have to build it from the ground up because they've been so miserably bad for the last 25 years. Can I add something to this conversation? Absolutely. Because, because I I do think the prospects are promising, but I do have a serious problem in believing that 
when they get these prospects that they're going to do anything with them. Because it's clear to me, and I don't have much patience for, for crap, especially watching the Reds and just as of late when you can't even field a ground ball and throw it to first base without it ripping through your glove, and that's an excuse that you have post-game. Oh, man, I, I, that is unacceptable to me. To me, I can't hold – I don't think David Bell should be coaching next year. I really – or managing next year. Forgive me for, for saying coaching. He should not be managing this team next year because he shows no accountability for any of these players. They play terribly, and they continue to play terribly, and he makes excuses for them. I couldn't believe he made that excuse for Vossler, not catching a, a ground – or not a ground ball, but – just a simple play at first base, going through the webbing of your glove. Yeah. Are we kidding? It, it, here's the thing about the coaching staff and what this team is doing managing. And this is exactly the point, Tom, that I have made time and time and time again, and I will go to my grave saying this. It is important for this team and these guys to learn how to win. Even if they are not competitive from a standings perspective – it's important for these guys to know how to win. And that was something I, I know, I understand. I'm beating a dead horse that I keep drawing on this experience with the Orioles. But the reason I keep talking about it so much is because it's so parallel to what the Reds are trying to do right now. And I, I see so many similarities. And I remember all these guys kept getting promoted from one minor league team to the other because they wanted to build the chemistry. They wanted to build the value of winning. The, the year I was there, that team that I was with, Bowie, was one of the best teams in that league. Those guys won together, then they got promoted together. They were all best friends. They all knew how to, to one, win, and two, play together. I don't, I'm not as familiar with the Reds minor league system to know the day in and day out of what the clubhouse chemistry is like down in Louisville. But what I do know is that it is important at some point this season to start winning games. Even if they're out of contention by July 21st, if you can win in July, August, and September and show that there is promise, even if it's non-competitive to the grand scheme of this season, there's no reason why you can't make a move and just do an entire regime change for next year. The flip side of that argument is having a manager that started with all of these guys. Yeah. Having somebody that was there with the start of a lot of these guys' career who he can build with. that That's the only people that know the answer to this question are the people inside that clubhouse and Nick Kroll. Those, those people downtown that know the answer to that question. We don't know that answer. We're not in the clubhouse day in and day out. We see what he says on, on the press conferences and we see what he answers for after the game. But I just – I can see both sides of the coin, but when you have – lost as much as this team has lost in the last five to six years, there's no reason why you can't go out there and just start fresh. Well, here, here's the thing. You know, I used to get all worked up when people would tell me, you, you, you brought up the name Theo Epstein earlier. And I have incredible respect for Theo Epstein, both as a general manager, president of baseball operations, as a guy. Um, I, I really think quite a bit of him. But for people that walked around and said Theo Epstein was playing Moneyball, they're simply out of their mind. I mean, they just don't understand it. If you want to go by, and this was the thing with Billy Bean in Oakland, 
okay? His was truly a money ball, in theory, okay, game plan. Where he went with younger, based on analytics, and all these different things, okay? That's what he did to build that team. He also had the best first three starters in all of Major League Baseball, okay? They had Zito, Mulder, and um, Hudson. I mean, these guys were unbelievable, okay? They still never got to it. They didn't get to a World Series. But let me get to Theo for a minute, okay? Because people that say he built the Cubs under Moneyball, they were spending in 2016 upwards of $170, $180 million team payroll when that was high. It'd be the equivalent today of like a 250 team payroll. All right? But look at the way that that team was built that won the World Series. Okay? You start with drafting, right? Albert Almora, solid player. Wasn't a star, but solid player. Javier Baez, star. Drafted out of Puerto Rico. Chris Bryant, star. National League, most valuable player. Okay? Then you get to trades. And here was a thing where Epstein was exceptional. Just exceptional. Okay? Jake Arrieta, right? Won a Cy Young Award. Traded to get him from Baltimore. You go through the rest of this team and the way they were built that year. Pedro Strope came in that same deal. Strope was as solid a reliever as there was in a league. Whatever role they put him in. Was he a great closer? No. But as a setup guy, right? Unbelievable. Aroldis Chapman. So you're taking on huge salary and the best closer in the game at the same time. You're taking on Carl Edwards. Got him from the Rangers. Justin Grimm. Kyle Hendricks. Stud starting pitcher. Got him in a trade. Miguel Montero. Starting catcher. Outstanding player. Got him in a trade from Arizona. Anthony Rizzo, ever heard of him? Got him in a trade from the New York Yankees. Now, again, yes, maybe Moneyball in the way the kind of guy you want to draft, but most of these guys I'm talking about, if not immediately, they became huge money players. Addison Russell, former number one pick of the Oakland A's, got him in a deal. Then the free agents, and here is where the rubber meets the road, okay? So I'm asking you, are the, when you brought up Theo Epstein, okay? So are the Reds going to make deals like those trades I just gave you? I don't know. They've swung a lot of trades in the last couple of years. We'll see how they play out. Maybe they'll be just like these, maybe even better. But then when the Cubs knew they were knocking on the door, they go out and they open the checkbook. They go get Dexter Fowler. Okay? Three-year deal. They go get Jason Hayward, which turned out to be a terrible sign, by the way. They gave him in excess of $100 million. Jason Hayward. John Lackey. Outstanding starting pitching. Right? He comes in. 
He's pitching every five days. How about John Lester? $70 million they gave Lester, who became arguably, after Ferguson Jenkins, the next best pitcher in the history of the franchise. Ben Zobrist. So, oh, and, 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 and please, don't let me forget in the international signings, okay, like the Reds with De La Cruz. You can't draft these guys, say they're from the Dominican, right, or Venezuela. Wilson Contreras. Not bad. Jorge Soler. Not bad. Okay, so look. E- even in the Rule 5 draft, they get Hector Rondon. He was at first a middle reliever, then became the primary setup guy in the bullpen to Aroldis Chapman. Oh, and by the way, did you know there's a kid named Schwarber who's from just down the road here in Middletown, Ohio? You ever heard of him? Kyle Schwarber? First-round draft pick. If that's what it takes to build a World Series champion, do you trust what they're doing down there? Absolutely not. Look. When you look at the players that are going to be on the field for this team next year, all of us agree universally. I think most teams in Major League Baseball, if you could quietly ask their general manager, would you make a straight-up trade right now? The front three guys in the red starting rotation for whoever you have in your front three. Okay? And that includes teams like the Yankees. And they got Garrett Cole and some of these other guys. But they're making a gazillion dollars, right? Okay, would you, would you want Green, Lodolo, Ashcraft? I think 90% of the teams in baseball would trade straight up to have the Reds front three guys in the rotation. But here's the problem. I think those guys are staring down the barrel of what we saw this past weekend happening again next year and maybe the year after. The only two guys that they have playing, well, maybe throw in Spencer Steer. But Steer, India, Stevenson are the only three guys you know for sure are going to be back playing and starting for this team next year. Right? And even Stevenson's been playing bad as of late. Do do those three guys worry you? If you're a pitcher on another team, you're getting uptight about India, Stevenson, Steer, like you would have maybe when the Cubs were losing 100 and something games. I remember, I can still picture it in my mind right now, looking down there playing the Cubs in 15 when they're getting beat 100 and we're playing them in September. I'm looking at Solaire. And I'm looking at Javier Baez. And I'm looking at Anthony Rizzo. And I'm going, ooh. Now, do they scare you? Forgot Solaire was on that team, too. Yeah. When you lay it out like that, it does make it a whole lot harder to believe in everything that they're trying to do and what it takes to build a team like that. And, you know, I, I, I see people talking about how the Cubs have not been 
what they were, you know, in 26. They haven't been that contend contending team since then. But when it's the same deal with the Nationals in 2019, who cares? You you win the World Series, you take that 10 times out of 10, and whatever happens after that, I mean, you won the World Series. That's right. So whether it's stars not progressing, whether it's trading guys away, whether it's bad contracts, whatever it is, you win a World Series, you take that every single day of the week. Um, but I, this whole red situation right now is just it's a it's a really frustrating one because nobody has any definitive answer or nobody has any definitive proof to say that they can go in one direction or another because all they've been doing is running in the same circle for the last 30 years Tom it's, it's been one just big circle of suck for 30 years so now they got to figure out all right what are we going to do to change that narrative the Bengals did it the Bengals absolutely did it and you know what the Bengals did too Tom to an extent they did it with the same ownership group I know there were some changes and there were like there was investment but it was the same ownership group though that went 55 and 120 from about 1990 to 2002 yeah yeah, I mean, but I'm just saying, you know, when people talk about the Castellinis, when people talk about, you know, the Brown family and everything downtown, there is an opportunity there for the Castellinis to turn this around if they just want to invest and show the city that they care. But I've I've talked enough. All right, we're going to get back to this a little bit later on. Uh, a real pleasure to be joined by Jason Williams, lead sports columnist at the Enquirer four-time Ohio columnist of the year. And, man, you talk about a big league operator. Voted as one of the top 100 most influential greater Cincinnatians. How do you walk around having to bear <laughs> that kind of title, Mr. Williams? I don't pay any attention to it, Tom. You know, it's just, uh, you know, whatever. Like, I've never... The whole the whole awards thing. Uh, I always joke about it in the media business and journalism. They've got an award for everyone. We give more awards in our business than Hollywood, I think. So that's sort of how I view it. Because I tell you, Tom. Let, let me tell you this. Because adjusting to the sports columnist job, replacing Paul Doherty, uh, has been a tough transition. It really has. It's been a very big challenge trying to find my voice, trying to find my place. I was the news political columnist for the Inquirer for five years. You know, it took a couple years to find my voice there. And uh, I wasn't replacing uh, a long-time, well-liked, incredible generational talent like Paul Doherty in that seat. And uh, I'll tell you, it's, you know, it's tough to, um, you know, make the adjustment, but uh, it's been fun. It, it's been hard to allow myself kind of that time to, to learn and adjust because you think, oh goodness. And you know, you know this Tom, you, you, when you went from a job, when you went from Arizona to Cincinnati, it, there's an adjustment there, even though you've been doing it so long, um, you still, there's that kind of learning phase and you think, gosh, I'm a veteran at this. I've been, you know, doing this thing for a long time. And yet in some ways you feel a little bit like a rookie again. You know, that's exactly what I was going to ask you about because, uh, I mean, you were right there, whether it was uh, at City Hall uh, and all the mess that you were covering that went on down there before you moved over to the news side. Uh, that, I mean, boy, talk about just a mess. I mean, you've forgotten more about it than I know about it, but you were writing about it all the time, and I was reading all about it because I like reading about that stuff. Um, 
But, you know, it, it could be also having to get to know and write about guys like, you know, Rob Portman or whoever it might be, right? Mm -hmm. And then uh, statewide and governor races and all this kind of thing. And then just the inside politics. What, is, is there a common theme? Because there are a lot of people in, in sports that love to talk about politics. You've probably seen this, right? Since you've yes. now been in yeah. both worlds. There are a lot of people that are in sports that really want to talk about politics. And there are a lot of people in politics that really want to be around sports. Um, yep. ha have you noticed a common thread or a major difference between covering those two very visible worlds? You know, I originally thought, uh, having been a sports writer earlier in my career, uh, I, I, and in going to news and politics from sports, I saw a lot of similarities um, in that, you know, there's a lot of, just from the coverage standpoint, there's a lot of late nights, there's a lot of, you know, dealing with people who operate in a vacuum, there's a lot of money involved. And so kind of on the surfacey things, you know, there's some similarities, but now coming back to sports, um, it's, it's, it, it is, it's a lot different. I'll say this. And again, this is just sort of inside baseball stuff. Uh, but I, I will say like, I don't get the feedback from the people I cover the way I did in politics. Like I couldn't write a political column without 10 or 15 people blowing me up. Like, you know, I didn't like it or I liked it or, you know, you're, you know, calling names or whatever. And I'm talking about insider people. Um, whereas now, like when I, you know, write something, you know, I rarely hear from the, the, the people that I've written about, which is totally fine with me. Um, and I'm sure it will happen. And it has happened a couple of times. So from that standpoint, I will say uh, the sports folks, I, I think have thicker skin if that, if that makes sense, because, you know, they, I think on sports, there's so much more attention on it. Uh, you know, you're the manager of the Reds, the coach of the Bengals, the, the top players of, of both teams, even, you know, the UC folks, you know, they're used to being criticized constantly on Twitter from a lot of people or on social media, whereas, you know, a local politician necessarily, you know, there's maybe just a couple voices that have influence. Whereas, you know, the Bengals, like you go, you look at Bengals Twitter and there, there are guys like, I'm like, who is it? Every day, it seems like I find someone, I'm like, hey, this guy's got 30,000 followers. And I'm like, I've never even heard of this person mm -hmm. before, but, you know, and it's just such a different uh, audience uh, in terms of, you know, I think just how even like the teams, uh, the coaches, the players view uh, the criticism and, I, I like to say there's thicker skin generally uh, among sports folks than there are political people. Um, we were just talking about the Reds, um, and, yeah. and you've written quite a bit about the Reds. Um, and, you know, I, I, I had made the point uh, to Paul and Casey here that, look, for all those of us really old enough to remember, I mean, the, the, the Bengals went through, you know, nearly 15 years of being the laughing stock of the league. Now all of a sudden – you know, they're the, they're, they're, they're the big dog in town. We'll get to them in a minute. But as far as the Reds go, I've always said that apathy was a lot worse than just pure dislike. Hmm. And, and I sense yeah. a lot of apathy, but Jason, I also sense a lot of dislike. 
What, yeah. what do you think the state of the Reds franchise is right now in this town? Uh, overall, right now, it is uh, not in a good way in terms of um, how the Reds are viewed outside of Great American Ballpark. I think inside Great American Ballpark, there's a feeling that the Reds are on the right track. And that sounds awkward to say after they've uh, lost six in a row here and can't score a run. But they finally feel like from top to bottom, they have a plan. Uh, I remember someone in ownership telling me this when I was in news, uh, I don't know, five years ago, really wanting and pushing and wanting uh, the front office, the top owner to strip this thing down and do basically what they're doing now, but to have done it several years ago. They've finally done that. There's finally a plan. Will the plan work? No idea. You know, David Bell said yesterday after the game, trust the process. That's hard for fans to do, especially after hearing all these years, uh, trust the process. Well, I think the process is different now or the, the plan is different now. Um, and now you have to execute the process of that plan. Man, that sounded really uh, like a politician talking there. <laughs> a, lot of, a, lot of, a lot of bureaucratic buzzwords. Um, I, I, I worry about the Reds, Tom. Um, I worry what they will win again. Um, but when that comes around, how many fans have you lost? Uh, you know, I did a story last year and then others talked about as well, comparing uh, their first season in Great American Ballpark to last year. They had, there was an average of a million fewer fans. Um, that's really concerning. I'm really worried about baseball overall. I'm really worried about the economics for teams like the Cincinnati Reds and the Cleveland Guardians. Um, but the Reds are at the very end, and people don't want to hear this, Tom, and, and I say this in my columns. Um, I know others say this. Uh, the Reds are on the right track. I really believe that. I really believe they have a plan. I believe that they have, they've now really done what needs to be done. I covered the Minnesota Twins for the St. Paul Pioneer Press earlier in my career. Um, that's what the twin, you know, when they knew how to win as a small market club, the, the Reds are doing those things now. Now it's just a matter of time for development. And I also, when you, and I hate comparing the Bengals and the Reds, it's two different economic setups, two different sports, obviously. Um, and I know folks in this town because they're only two major league teams, you know, top major league teams anyway. Um, people want to compare them and they've done that forever. And usually, or, you know, a lot of times it's been the Reds on the other side of this. Um, but it, 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 like, I feel like as long as the Bengals are continuing to win, that is even makes it worse for the Reds. Um, just from the standpoint of, well, gosh, look how bad the Bengals were for so long and now look at them. But I, I can't emphasize this enough to folks like, it, it, the NFL was set up that you can go from worst to first in a year. Yep. Baseball is not like that. Baseball is uh, it is a process. It is hard. It is the economics of the game are not set up that way. Just even the development of players aren't set up that way. There's a reason why uh, baseball has a minor league system and in football essentially doesn't. I mean, college football, obviously, but um, – and so just on that fact alone, and you, when you think about the world and the, the, the sports culture we live in now, we, we want more and more instant gratification. And the Bengals winning, and from that standpoint, I think makes it even worse for the Reds. And again, I hate comparing the two, but 
as long as the Bengals are winning and you're getting that instant gratification and that football culture of everything, you know, lives and dies on one game. And then the Reds are continuing, well, trust the process. It's going to take time. Maybe we'll be good in 2025. I think that really is tough for fans um, in this town and certainly tough for people who are fans of both teams. You know, there, there, there's a for for any fan of any sport, and I always use in baseball uh, the analogy of Joe Torre and Terry Francona. Um, they were bums in a couple of stops yep. as managers, and then all of a sudden they get to a place where they got good players and they're spending a lot of money and they're winning World Series. Uh, Torre yeah. with the Yankees, Francona uh, with with obviously Boston. Um, you know, David Bell, clearly, uh, I'm not going to say that he has not been given good teams because I think two years ago they had a good team. And look, everybody played through yeah. the pandemic. So to use that as an excuse is just nonsense. I mean, they go into playoffs and they can't score a single run for two days in Atlanta. Now, the last couple of years, they've had bad teams. Last year, this year. Um, but I also hear a lot of fans saying, including me, that, you know, you hear from him after the game and you're hearing those lines. Trust the process. Trust the process. We just need a few breaks. We can't get a ball to fall yeah. in. Yesterday, we can't get a pitch called our way. I mean, he's not making excuses, but, you know, some of the fans want to hear somebody that's got, I think, a little more fire. Do you, do you think that it may not be in Bell's personality? You've talked with him. You, re, you wrote a beautiful column about yeah. him in basketball the other day. I mean, can you imagine being in that spot that he's in right now? I can't. Uh, it's got to be really tough. I, I do think uh, – I, I believe in David Bell. I think that he is uh, – I think he's got the it factor. I think he's good for this young clubhouse. Um, I think, you know, you, I don't think you really want a manager right now who's really fiery. Uh, certainly you wouldn't have a manager. I mean, David Bell's ideal because he's this is his first managerial job. You're not going to have a veteran manager like a Dusty Baker who's going to roll with a team like this. And so, uh, it, to me, for him to for David Bell to get fired up and, and throw a couple dingers a couple times a week, I don't think does any good for a young team that's developing. And you know, I think he's in a really tough position. I really believe when he says trust the process, um, you know, there's a there's a that that he go he's falling back on that plan that you know they you know the plan that allows them to or move them to, uh, you know, give a contract extension to Hunter Green last week. Um, so he's looking at those things. I think he's looking at, can we get those three pitchers? Uh, can they get those three pitchers uh, to continue to grow and take another step this year? Well, so far for the most part, the exception of, uh, you know, a few outings, uh, they're doing that. It's still a young season. But those are the kinds of victories, so to speak, that, I think David Bell and the organization Nick Crawl are looking for that, you know, if they could at the end of this season say they didn't, uh, you know, they that those three guys took the next step. Um, you know, I, I, I think that that's a good thing. And then I think, too, they'll be out from under the Votto contract, $25 million this year, uh, you know, that's having that $25 million freed up. I'm not saying they're going to go out and get some big free agent but to be able to have some wiggle room with that money uh, will allow them to, as they look forward to 
trying to keep some of these younger players here uh, at least through, you know, they basically, they basically got another year out of Hunter Green than what they would have gotten if they didn't right. do this extension. Um, and I think they're trying to hit that right at that, you know, uh, Hunter Green, I think will be 28-29 when that contract is up. So they really feel like, and if you look at the Tampa Tampa Bay Rays, that in, with the exception of a couple players, their key players are all 28, 29, and 30. Um, so if they can get this thing to where those guys and those key guys that they have now, those cornerstone players uh, that are going to hit, uh, you know, right in the prime of their career in 27 and 28, and, you know, when David Bell talks about trust the process, I think that's what he's talking about. Now, is he going to be here by that time to see that through? Who knows? I, I, you know, there's one thing to stick to the plan and who are all the key parts around the plan. Is is the same leadership going to see, going to be there when they lose 100 games? And they, are they going to be patient with David Bell and allow him to be there when – they think they're going to be good again. I, I have no idea. Um, but I I think David Bell is in a tough position. He's dealing with the roster he's been given. And when he says trust the process, uh, that's not spin. That's literally uh, – he, he knows baseball, like he, his family. And, um, you know, his dad, when, he, when his dad was a manager, was really handed a lot of pretty bad teams when he yep. was – uh, the Royals in Colorado and, and, um, you know, Buddy's a little, little more fiery, uh, than David, but, you know, I think that's all you can do is try to try to stay even keel and tell fans, trust the process. I know they don't want to hear it, but what else are you going to tell them? Because throwing young players under the bus and saying, you know, dinging some kid for something. And I, I don't think is, uh, is going to be productive right now for this team. All right, last thing I want to ask you about, because I heard you on the radio the, the other day and you were talking to some of the powers that be about this whole Bally's thing. Yeah. Um, I, I made the comment uh, months and months ago that I thought this would become the biggest story in sports by far that has occurred in the last number of years. Bigger than any championship, bigger than any player, because this has such an, an, an explosive impact uh, yeah. on NBA, NHL, and Major League Baseball teams Focus locally here on the Reds. Um, they're not going to get their money. People can say whatever they want. You tell me unless you've heard something different. Ultimately, they're not getting that money. That is a contract no. that was negotiated in good faith. They're not going to get it. Bally's is going, Diamond right. Sports is going bankrupt. Where do you think we watch the Cincinnati Reds after May this year? Do you think they're still on Bally's? And, 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 and if not, do you think the Channel 5s, the Channel 19s, the Channel 9s of the world get involved in this thing? Uh, that's a great question. I, I think it, we will be watching the Reds. I, don't, I still don't know where. Would it be like a newly created, you know, channel so to speak a different number um on on the cable systems on the streaming systems you know we a lot of people haven't been able to watch bally's now because uh, they have youtube tv and they've never been able to create uh, strike a deal with youtube yep. tv maybe this could actually end up being better for viewers uh, uh 
the Reds that you end up getting on, I don't know, some some channel that's, you know, just what it doesn't really matter about the channel is it what's who's going to be carrying it. Uh, you know, I, I do believe someone will be carrying it. I think it'll be the same. You know, it, it may not look any different than it does now. Same broadcasters, uh, you know, all that stuff, you know, Tom, like all this stuff's in-house. Yeah. So the production may not look different. It just may be, you know, the logo on the screen or John Sadak doesn't come and say, welcome to Valley Sports Ohio. It's, I don't know, welcome to Major League Baseball's production of the Cincinnati, I don't, you know, what? I don't know. Fans will be watching it somewhere. Um, I think... I think this is, uh, in the short term, a really uh, challenging thing for the Reds at a time when they're struggling. And now you're going to throw at people like, oh, you know, that, that same channel you always watch the Reds on, that they're not on that channel anymore. Now you got to punch in a different number and you got to go figure out. And, like people don't like doing that, Tom. You know, you know TV. Like they don't, they don't like having their routine messed with on TV. I think in the bigger picture, long run, what's happening with Valley and the, uh, the parent company, Diamond, I think could be a really good thing for baseball. It could move baseball more toward a, uh, you know, a uniform, uh, broader uh, television deal for the entire league. Uh, you know, use, use the NFL as a model. I'm not saying it'll be like that, but this could be a step toward they're just being a more, just a better overall contract for Major League Baseball. I don't know what that looks like. That's what I've heard from folks in the Reds front office, um, that long-term, this could be a good thing, but there's going to be a lot of short-term um, growing pains and, you know, some painful things. Jason, we can't thank you enough for your time today. I know you're very, very busy, but thanks so much, and we'd love to have you back again you. sometime soon. Thank you, Tom. I'd love to do it and uh, really honored to be on your show. Thanks a lot. Thanks a bunch. Keep Jason, up great Jason work. Williams. Stay Thank you, buddy. buddy. Lead columnist at the uh, Cincinnati Inquirer, lead sports columnist after being lead political columnist for a long, long time. I mean, he laid it out there uh, with the Reds. I know a lot of people in the chat, and look, I get it. And he acknowledged I get it. You know, this, this, this trust the process thing is like new age babble. What does that mean? Well, I mean, what does that mean? Trust the process. The process of what? Working hard? Okay, our guys are working hard. Trust the process of what? We got a plan? Okay. Well, I heard that five years ago. And I heard it seven years ago. And I heard it three years ago. Okay? I'm trusting exactly what? Define process for me. This is your generation's new age babble. What? And that's what? why I couldn't believe I almost fell out of my chair one day when I heard Nick Saban utter those words. There is no, there is nothing to worry about trust with Alabama. They just kick everybody's ass every week. <laughs> they got it down. We go recruit. We get the best recruits. When we get them in here, we turn them into animals, and we just go blast everybody's tail every Saturday. Right? That's the process at Alabama. What is the process on Joe Nuxall way? What does that mean? 
Well, if you want to say that there's any process, the process has been going downhill. It's getting worse. They're getting worse and worse. I mean, they couldn't get any worse than last year, and that was a trust the process moment. I mean, I, 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 I can't. I'm trying. What? You're thrown off because I, he yeah. said it's a new age thing. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, 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 yeah. What am I that, trusting? When you hear that term, trust the process, what does that mean? Look, you put trust in things, even if you can't see him, right? You trust in God. You haven't seen him, but you know he's there. There are certain things you, that, that, that then in, in, the, in this world, not the spiritual world, where there is a track record of trusting, right? Okay, you trust every year. And you can say, well, yeah, they got all the money in the world. But you can trust every year the New York Yankees are going to have a, a competitive team, right? Right. You can trust every year, although the Dodgers went 20-something years without winning a World Series, right? But, but the, Alabama football, Ohio State football, okay? You have, and you might go through some of this, not necessarily Alabama and Ohio State, take USC. One of the great football traditions of all time, and then pfft, right in the tank. Who are you supposed to believe in there? Mike Garrett is the AD, Right? Clay Helton? Now Lincoln Riley's in town. You going to trust that? Probably a pretty good chance you might trust that, right? Urban shows up in Columbus? Probably a pretty good chance that whatever process he's got going on, I think I can trust that. What do you trust in whatever the process is? How are fans supposed to listen to that babble? You guys think about it for a minute. I'm running to the head, and we got Zim in a minute. It's that type of the show, the ham and eggers. These guys are great. Trust me, I would know. I introduce all the best segments. Well, I mean, to, to just answer his question. And by the way, that's just like the, the participation trophies. That weren't built by me and Generational and warfare. It was built by guys like Tom's age. He's the, his generation is the one that says, trust the process. That's what we've been fed all of our life. Regardless. Thank you, Casey. Regardless, there is nothing to trust about this Reds team. I mean, there's no, there's no, uh, there's no progress being made, if you ask me. So what process is there being? What, what process is there to trust when there's no progress being made? Well, I, I, yeah, I think there, there are two different arguments to what he was talking about with trusting the process. And if there's nothing there that you can trust, then yes, th then if, if there's, if there is no track record of, but that's the same point that I was making before Jason joined the show. That's exactly the same point that I was making that when you have a track record of success and you have data points that you can prove that you can show, here's what we did. When you, when you think trust the process, 99% of people, when you say trust the process, you're going to think of Joel Embiid and the Philadelphia 76ers. That's what you're thinking of when you, when you hear that. Like, they've been okay, but their whole deal was obviously to win an NBA title, and they have not come close to that. 
they've been fine. They've been serviceable. They've consistently made the postseason. But when they've gotten there, they haven't done anything, at least to the point of success to where they thought they were going to build to when this whole process started with them. Right. So when you're looking at the Reds and this franchise and trusting the process and trusting what Nick Kroll is building down there, you're putting a lot of blind faith into something that you just have to hope pays off. And that's exactly the point that I made 35 minutes ago where I said they haven't given you anything in the last 30 years, 28 years, to hang your hat on to say we can trust you with this. Right. I mean, that, I agree. And it was people like Tom who created that word and that, that phrase, <laughs> trust the process, that just – they stuck it in our young brains, and now it's just, it's there all the time. Now, here he goes. What I'm talking about, your generation's psychobabble, okay? Trust the process is a slogan used by fans of the NBA's Philadelphia 76ers. Did you guys get into this? Yeah, we yeah, were just yeah, we talking. All about right, it. well, then I missed it. Okay. 2018, right? Yeah. Okay. All right. So this is your generation's. Um, Why? Well, how is it our generation? 2018. How is it our generation? 2018. I mean, that's your generation. You're right telling there. me never in we the history. We didn't hear this nonsense when Woody Hayes was coaching. We didn't hear this nonsense when Vince Lombardi was coaching. But how is it nonsense, though? We didn't hear this nonsense when Don Shula was coaching. How is it nonsense, though? But it's people your age that are the ones saying it. Back then, that was your You're aren't people your my age saying it. Yes. Why, why, why is trusting the process? Nick Crow's not my age. But why is but what, it's not ours. Why is what the 76ers did bad? Do you though? hear Dusty Baker saying that? He's my age. Do you hear him saying that? But why is it bad? Because okay. it's babble. It's complete nonsense. What does process mean? What, define it for me. That there's a plan in place for success down the line. And to earn trust, you have to have proven before that your process, whatever that criteria might be, has been successful somewhere. Yeah. Okay. If Nick Saban drops that line, like I said before, I'm like, okay, I get it. I've seen his well, process. But that's a different argument then. That's different. Unless... You're, if, unless I'm you're, saying for David Bell to say night after night after night. Yes. What does the franchise he works for, what have they done as far as process is concerned that would make you even remotely think about putting your trust in it? What have they done? Well, but that's what I said 40 minutes ago. So now we're just talking in circles because that's, that's what I said. That the, the and I love Nick Crawl. Let me just say that right now. I, I, I like Nick Crawl, and I think he knows what he's doing. I really do. I think he knows what he's doing. But he ultimately is going to get hamstrung because of the economic structure under which baseball falls under sooner or later. People can talk to me about the Rays. They can talk to me about the A's. The big spenders win, and the little spenders don't. 
when all and when I say win, I mean win the whole thing. That's why you're in the game, right? Do you start an NFL season saying, "Man, I hope we can, you know, win the division." Huh. Okay, if that's part of your building it up to get to another level, that's fine. Understandable at times. But is not the goal baseball, football, basketball, hockey, Marymount sports, fifth grade basketball. Is it not to win the whole thing? Of course. Okay. That's the goal. Obviously, that's the goal. Well, no, it's not obvious it's the goal because for some people, it's just not obvious. It's not. Does anybody think the goal of over half the teams in baseball this year is to win the World Series? No. No. Okay. So it's not the goal. Well, they can't set unrealistic expectations because they'll never meet them. Kind of like the Reds right now. They can't set World Series expectations right now. So their expectations are a little lower. I get I get what you're saying, Tom. But the problem was trusting the process, right? And I guess we have to define what process we're trying to create here. When I hear that, I think Super Bowl. I think championships. So when I hear David Bell say... Just trust the process. We're going to get there. I think he's full of crap. There's no process to trust there. But there's a minor league system that has guys that are coming up that are at least have what some more potential shown? than six years ago. What has he shown with the players that he's got available to him now and in the past, the past four but years? But they're not trying to win now is the difference. They're not trying to win now. Now, I will go back to the 2020 postseason. To build from there and then tear everything down. Yeah. And again, they've never won under David Bell. And that's my biggest concern with it. My biggest concern with David Bell is that they've never won. Un- now, he's never been dealt the right hand. Never. I, I would argue that David Bell has not been dealt a true full hand of cards to really win at a competitive level. They went 31 and 29 in the COVID year, whatever the record was that year. I think it was- Do you think that team on the field was better than 31 and 29? When you watch the lineup they were running out there every day, that team should have been a hell of a lot better than 31 and 29. Yeah. Huh? They had a Cy Young award winner. I mean, they well, Yeah, and Luis Castillo was their number 2 or 3 starter. Yeah. So I mean, you know, look, I'm with you last year and this year on on what Bell has been handed. That that can't even be debated. We, that, no yeah. doubt about it. No doubt. But don't don't talk to me about 20 and 21. They had some players they on did. those teams. They did. They had some players. Damn good players. Right? They really did. And, you know, look, is it David Bell's fault that they go to Atlanta and for two days can't score a run? That's not his fault. That's not his fault. But, I mean, look. You know, you're paid to win games. And you're paid to see improvement. I will say for the first time, his comments yesterday after the game were the first time where I've read, hey, look, we got a long, long way to go here. We We got to get some stuff figured out. So, who knows? Maybe he's starting to get a little tired of it. Sure, hope so. 
Yeah, I mean, you look at – Sir Boy Wonder points out, look at the first three guys in that starting rotation for that team that year. Sonny Gray. Sonny Gray. Stud. At least he was then. I don't know what he's doing now. But you had Gray, Castillo, and Bauer. Right? I mean, I don't know. I don't know. You're going to trust the process. That's what we're going to do. Did anybody believe, and I go to bat for Marvin Lewis a lot around here as far as what he did initially for the Bengals franchise, the mess that was before he got there. We got Zim Hude coming up any minute now. Was anybody going to buy into Marvin after you lose for the fourth or fifth time in round one of the playoffs? A couple of those at home against lesser talented teams. Was anybody going to listen to that nonsense if he said trust the process? No. The only person that bought that argument was Mike Brown because he kept bringing it back. After about your third or fourth trip to the playoffs and you're getting your tail kicked in round one by the Chargers and the Texans, right? Teams like that at home, done. Done. You move on. If you're really about winning. Marvin Lewis was allowed to be a 500 coach for over 12 years and never won a playoff game. Not one Bengals fan was going to buy that nonsense. Trust what we're doing down here. We're going to stay the path. True. True. I mean, we got, we got it figured out. They got it figured out. And that's why they now have earned the trust of the fans. Now, that can turn on you in a heartbeat. Very fast. Very, very fast. But right now, they've earned some trust. We'll see how it plays out. Uh, Zim said, did we send the link? Yes, we did. I can send another one if he wants it. Yeah, I mean, uh, you asked me. Um, and this might be something that we talk about in further length. I mean, it might be obvious. It might not be. It is very hard to build tra- trust within a fan base that's not like, I mean, rocket science. But it took how long before we really started trusting the Bengals? And some of us still don't really trust them all that much. Still have hesitation and and a little... little uh, weariness of Bengals moves I mean it's hard and it's going to take a lot of winning for the Reds organization before they really start getting any trust back from their fans that's just the truth winning fixes everything now I'll tell you if the you bring up a great point here Casey because I'm going to tell you right now and I can see it coming from a mile away and I hope I'm wrong but I'll tell you one thing that better happen the Bengals in the next two years they better win a Super Bowl. Because if they don't, if they don't, with the talent they have on this team, two years ago, last year, this coming year, if they don't, then the whispers, here they come. Right? Can't win the big one. Can't win the big one. Can't win the big one. So everybody's trusting them now. It's now up to that organization and Zach Taylor and Joe Burrow and that whole group 
that they got to go out and win it all, not get to another Super Bowl. That'd be great. I mean, heck, we'd, you know, hopefully Chatterbox Sports will uh, spend a little money. We'll go down and cover the Super Bowl if the Bengals are in it next year. We'll do our show from Radio Row. That'd be sweet. Right? That would be fun. Look who is in the house. I mean to tell you, I've missed his smile. I miss his, <laughs> I miss his enthusiasm. It has not been the same around here since football season ended. Everybody was so excited. Zim Hooday, welcome back, my man. How you doing? I'm doing great. I'm doing awesome. I'm, I'm doing really good. We got a big day coming up on Thursday night, Tom. Are you familiar with the NFL draft? I am, but before we get to that, it looks to me like you've been doing a little uh, homework uh, back there. Uh, you got some curtains and stuff going on there. You look like, you, you know, you're kind of making some changes around the crib. I mean, you got it going on. I'm doing some stuff. You see, I got some, hold up, on this side. Uh, I got some soap. I got a coffee. I just drank some coffee. I got my coffee maker, a refrigerator. I'm just a normal guy, just like you, Tom. Hey, in my, my refrigerator, it's not that much stuff in there, but uh, I'm working <laughs> on it. <laughs> so, Sarah, how you doing? Your family good? Everybody all right? Your son doing all right? Yeah, he's doing awesome, man. I just, honestly, I just came back from Jamaica. I was there for like five days or whatever. Just came back, family trip. Had to get away from football for a second. So it was really dope. I just came back like two days ago or whatever. So I feel really good. I haven't talked football in a while, so I was so glad to talk to you yesterday. I can see you got a little, you got a little, you got a little tan. You got a little, yeah, a little bit. Yeah, you got a little tan. Yep, yep. You know, people ask that question. I mean, you know, and I'm being serious when I say this because I mean, I know this stuff, right? I know this stuff. My uh, my my stepfather was African American, right? And 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 I mean, yeah, And, and so I know, and I'd hear him talk about. He looked at me. He says, "What you think I can't get a tan?" Right. And I said, well, I, you, of course you can get a tan, right? I mean, the pigment of the skin might be a little bit different, but can right. you get sunburned? I was just about to say that. My wife got a sunburn crazy. I was just about to say, you think I'm going to put on sunblock? <laughs> like my skin, my shoulders are like kind of burnt right now at this point. But yeah, I, I put on some. Okay. What sunblock are you wearing these days? You wearing 50, 70? What are you pushing? No, 30, hell 50, no. I mean, 70? look at me, Zim. Come on. Come on. I mean, you know. I mean, I you look down- like you take a trip or two. Well, no, I mean, I'm outside a lot for our son's high school lacrosse games. And we had a couple of okay. games last week where it was like 80-something degrees, although we can't break 40 now. But it was like 80-something degrees sitting right in the sun for like three hours. So, yeah, I mean, you know, get a little color. Uh, that I see I see the 1-800, you know, call gambler if I'm having a gamble problem. I was just about to say I could throw down a little money on your son's lacrosse game if you, you really want to get some action going. Well, I, I bet big money on him tonight. I can tell you that right now. Um, I'm, I'm going to bet the house on him. Let's bet go. the house on him. Bet the house on him. All right. So let's get to um, – uh, somebody said, Tom, be careful. Zim, we're good, Tom, right? I mean, we know we're good. All right. Okay, we're so we're going to we're going to go over our our sunblock regimen after we get off air. We're, absolutely. We're All right, I want to go back. Uh, I want to go back to um, this whole thing, starting with um, Joe Mixon. Okay, you're close with Joe. Ooh. You have a, a relationship with Joe, uh, and the whole nine yards. 
What what do you think is going to happen with Joe Mixon and and his future with the Bengals? What do you think is going to happen? Because there's all kinds of stories and rumors and speculation. What happens? I think I'm the the, the short answer is this. I feel like a lot of people were conditioned to think that he's like vastly overpaid for his position. And that's a big significant portion of this whole deal. The whole off the field stuff is kind of goes hand in hand with it, right? But if you look at it, a lot of people always phrase this, and this has been my number one thing, and I don't know why people say this. He's not making 12 million this upcoming year. He's making $10 million. His cap hit is $12 million. So when you put his money in the whole you know, the marketplace of the people around them, like David Montgomery, Miles Sanders and company and all those guys like that, they're making seven, eight mil. Do we all think that Joe Mixon is better than Miles Sanders and David Montgomery? I would think most people would think so. Yeah, those dudes make six and seven million dollars. So this concept of him making so much significantly lower than that for a guy that just came off 1300 uh, yards and uh, all purpose yards in a down year. Remember, he only played 14 games yeah. out of 17. So I don't know when the conditioning process started. I know a lot of people to say that your preference would be a different guy or somebody to play better. That's fine. But market value, like online, like Spotrack, the companies that do it, they're saying he's valued at 12 million. He's paid 10. So that to me is like the beginning of everything. And that's where the, all the conversations come from. Me being a Bengals fan, sure, I want him to take a pay cut. But the likelihood of him taking a pay cut versus the likelihood of the Bengals asking him to take a pay cut, I think are very slim compared to what most people think. Remember, people thought he was going to get cut right after the season, and that never happened. People also thought P. Ryan would start over him one time. That never happened. My perception of Joe Mixon is a lot like how players look at Joe Mixon, like he's still like a top 10 running back. Now, a lot of people don't feel that same way, and that doesn't have anything to do with my relationship with him. That's just me watching football. Like, 1,300 yards, all-purpose yards for a team that doesn't really run the football that much is still a lot. I remember I came on the show. You said, I think Joe Mixon was the best player on the field in the Bills game. And I always remember that, and I say that over yep. and over in my head. And then what did they do the following week? They didn't give him the ball. But then who is the person that is like the scapegoat? It's like Joe Mixon for some weird reason. I think the Bengals value him a lot more than what a lot of people online do. And so you saw that with Bill Callahan. I mean, I'm sorry, Callahan's son <laughs> the other day yeah, Brian, where he said, Brian. Yeah, yeah. yeah, Brian Callahan, we're looking for a back to compliment Joe Mixon. And I think that a lot of people aren't processing how they view Mixon is different. And the breakdowns that I've given just now about who he compares to on a market, like Miles Sanders making seven million, like people really think Joe Mixon should make less than Miles Sanders at seven million dollars or David Montgomery and all these guys like that. Even if you think that he should take a pay cut, what is the cut? Like two, three million dollars or something to get down to Miles Sanders level or something? Like this concept that he would go to four or five million. The other side that the other that they never present to people is this. Say he doesn't take this pay cut that you're standing hard on and saying he must take a pay cut, right? You know that you will hypothetically, if he said no, give him to an opposing team like an AFC team, could be the Chiefs, could be the Bills, could be the 49ers or the Eagles, 
that you could give it to them for a discounted rate at like four or five million now mm. that the market is now dried up. That's the other side of the spectrum that I don't think people think of. Like you would be handing somebody a top 10 receiving running back. Yep. He was top three this past season. He ended up third in receiving yards and re in, in, I'm sorry, in catches. He, he was third in yards. He was fifth. Even with missing three games, you would just be handing that to an opposing team. That's a good point. And I think the Bengals are very cognizant. Like, they understand that, too. It's like the downside is if you do cut them and you think you got this leverage, somebody's about to get them at a discounted rate. Now, you might say, I don't care. That's cool. But now you're going to base all your hope on a rookie running back. And I just don't think that that's appeal. Now, you could go back and go get Z. And I think that would work as a compliment to the new rookie running back. But running backs just don't – I don't know. My, You know, my perception on this is very different than what I read online, I think. Well, I mean, look, I think you – but but the one thing I respect about you, Zim, all the time, no matter what, and we joke around a lot and kid around a lot, is, I mean, you're very, very informed and present opinions that a lot of people just want to throw out the door when it comes to mix. I mean, look, you know, you know what I know. Um you know, what's true, what's not true, I don't know. Uh, we're going to find out sooner or later. But this has not been a good offseason for Joe, just yeah. as far as the look is concerned. And now you, you, yeah. you, you throw that in with the financial part of it, so on and so forth. Okay, you got that. Next thing I want to ask you about, you thought a couple of weeks ago that the, the Bengals got this thing done with T. Higgins. What are your thoughts on that? I still feel the same way in this regard. The people that are around him, the people that I know, and, you know, like, people do know this. Like, T. Higgins came to our Twitter spaces to talk ball with us, and he announced to us that he had a number five. You know, he was wearing number five. I feel like I'm pretty cool with a lot of different people. Um, we have a lot of mutual really good friends. Um, you know, I've never, you know, like, there, you know, there's pictures all over the internet. Me and T. Higgins might be at a party or something like that, you know. Mm -hmm. So there's all these different things that are there. So this concept that people would think that I would make it up is kind of crazy to me. I just think that maybe somebody was misinformed or maybe they are at the point where they are finished in principle, but then they're ironing out other different aspects of it. Because the number one thing that I thought is, is immediately when I said that, too, is like the deal is done is that, okay, it wouldn't really make sense for him to have a deal before Burrow. So maybe they're sitting on what they know, but then that doesn't really make sense either, too, because as time goes by and say somebody like a Justin Jefferson sign or something like that, it doesn't help your cause out. So 100%, if the deal is done, you sign it and get that out of the way, and you don't hold it back, you release it, and he has his own press conference. So there's a lot of different question marks about it. If he has, you know, it hasn't, released or anything yet i just think that something changed something happened that you know like uh, in my mind i never reported it with a timetable or anything like that right. and i, I didn't right. even i didn't even say it as a report i just said it based off the information that i knew that that was told to me and i'm not just hearing that just randomly or just waking up with those thoughts like this all season just recapping i told people that travion williams was signed before he was signed foster moreau was coming in for a visit before any of the big people. Uh, uh, a lot of stuff. Awuzie being as healthy as he was, I've been preaching that for weeks. Like, I've literally seen him, like, you know, walking around. So, like, there, there's other things that I do know um, that sometimes I say, sometimes I don't. At that given moment, I thought 
that that was a good time. Like I was, I always forget that I'm not just talking to Bengals fans anymore. As like you know, like your son, how you found me on Instagram, right? It's just originally, I just was always talking to Bengals fans. Like, bro, like, look, this is what we get, and I'm excited. But then I forget about like, man, there's so many. There's agents. There's so many people that don't have your best interest. There's so many people that don't want the deal to be done. There's so many factors in something like just that one tweet that I wasn't calculated in my thought process. That's something normally I probably wouldn't have tweeted out. I just was excited. And I still think it's like, it's going to get done, but I don't know. You know, I'm not an agent and I'm not a reporter. All right. Um, a couple quick things before we let you go. Uh, draft. You leaning anywhere as far as um, uh, position is concerned? I know you hear this stuff about we're going to take the best player when he's available. I get all that. Uh, but but at the end of the day, with that 28th pick, what do you think the Bengals end up doing with that? I think if you have the opportunity to get, like, a elite trench player, person, say it's offensive line or defensive tackle, that's where I go at. So if one of the big guys like a Van Ness, uh, Nolan Smith, Miles Murphy, uh, guys like that, faulty, you take that guy. Like, or because that's day one, I like to marry my BPA with impact versus the need. The Bengals need interior pressure, Bengals need rotation, Bengals need a healthy dose of uh, pressure that's even behind Trey Hendrickson and any leverage in that same situation. I feel the same way about offensive line, but you can't Jake Fisher or Cedric Obwehi yourself in the first round, so you can't reach. It really would just be like Darnell Wright, <laughs> like first round. And then after that, then that's where I come back to Mayer. Mayer offers you something that a lot of people don't understand. I'm not looking for my running back to pass protect. I'm looking for a tight end that can be in line so that if a team dare blitz me, I'm sending running backs out to the flat. That's how Joe Mixon got 60 receptions. That's how Joe Mixon was third in the NFL in receptions is by going out into the flats and just killing teams just like he did in the Bills game. And if you have a tight end that's in line, if you get yourself in a situation like the AFC Championship game, you have somebody on the line of scrimmage that can block, he can chip. If nobody comes, he can leak out, and now he's in weapon. Mayer, what he was asked to do at Notre Dame, 800 yards, number one target on his team, is like is steroids for the Bengals because of the blocking yep. aspect. We just interviewed Irv Smith two, three days ago. I believe in Irv Smith. But at the same time, he doesn't offer you inline blocking. And that is where I'm looking for an extension of an offense alignment, especially if I have question marks at right tackle. I'm not looking for a running back to block. Teams, the Bengals are the least blitz team in the National Football League. When people lead with, can the running back block or whatever, I get it. P. Ryan was on the field 60 times in pass pro. That breaks down to 3.2 times per game in a season. I'm not basing a running back. Imagine me saying, Tom, you think we should sign Nick Chubb for a couple million dollars? And you said, well, he can't pass protect. You would look at me like I'm, I would be looking at you like you're crazy. I'd be like, Nick Chubb is one of the best runners in the league. Running backs run and catch. I'm not really like, can they pass protect? Sure. But if I had a tight end that was in line blocking like a mayor, that is something that the Bengals don't have. And then I fall back and my last tier would be Emmanuel Forbes if he was there or like Deontay Banks or one of the corners. Okay. All right. Zim, it's great having you back, my man. We missed you. Welcome back from Jamaica. And uh, and we're going to be catching up a lot here soon. Now, tell everybody, uh, during the yes. draft, you're going to be live on the air, right? Yes. Thank you for reminding me that. Sure.
I'm going to have a mock draft special on Wednesday on Wincinnati Pod. Make sure you follow Zim Hude. Make sure you follow Wincinnati Pod. Tom, I'm putting the pressure on Tom. Thursday, I'm having a, a, a mock, I mean, I'm sorry, a draft day special is going to be like four hours. Yep. Tom, I've asked to pop in on there. I've had, I have a star-studded cast. I don't know if anybody is as famous as you, but we do have a well, couple players. Well, you must be really digging near the bottom of the barrel because if I'm closest to being the most well-known that's going to be on Wincinnati Pod, I wouldn't tell that publicly. Tom, you're the man, so we need you. Oh, yeah. So uh, I'm going to just leave it at it. We need you. I'm going to be there. I, got, I, I gave you my word. Right. I'll do anything for All you, right. Zim. I'll be there for you, my man. I got a star-studded cast. I got a guy. His name rhymes with Cheater. He's going to be on there. We, Yeah, you're thinking. You, there's only. You, Cheater? That, that guy's going to. Beer? Rhymes with Cheater. Oh, Cheater. Rhymes with beater so we i got players and i got talent like yourself tom i got some high level i got some i got some old names i got a hugh jackson i got a lot of different i got a lot of guys that are going to be pulling up a lot of girls too um that are going to be pu pulling up to this extravagant are you having Derek jeter on the program <laughs> no, this is an NFL player that plays for the Cincinnati Bengals. So we have a lot of different. Oh, I got you now. Okay. All right. The big fella. The guys. big fella. It's a big guy. So big guy. I'm announcing that for the first time here with you, but we got a bunch of guys that are going to be on this show and um, Tom's going to be on there. So if you're a fan of Tom's show here, uh, you need to come on over to Cincinnati on uh, Thursday. We're going to have a big draft. Right, what time are you starting that up on Thursday? Starting at 7 p.m. Eastern time, and we're rocking all the way through, so you're going to be able to see my live reaction to the pick and everything. Okay, well, you let me know when you want me to be there, and I'll be there. I don't want to get in um, in anybody's way, but like I said, you're <laughs> always here for us, Zim, and we're always on Off the Bench going to be there for you. We love you, my man. Welcome back. Yes, sir. I'm off the bench. <laughs> yes, you are. All right, Zim, take it easy, my man. All right. Zim, back in the house. Always great to have Zim back. Absolutely. There is one thing that we didn't really get to talk to him about. Uh, one of his thoughts on the Jonah Williams thing. Oh, uh, yeah, my bad. That's No, it's okay. No, that's my bad. You know, I tell you, though, I, you know what? You have to respect his take. Personal feelings aside, when he lays out Arguments for keeping Mixon, they are sound arguments. Yeah, I I think I, I agree with you on that. I think they're sound arguments. Um, I personally did a whole lot of research into Mixon, and I was going to do a whole spiel. Uh, I, uh, maybe a little insider info. I was going to do a, a, a tiny show myself about Joe Mixon because it was just a huge deal. And the numbers just don't make sense for the, the hate that Mixon gets. Okay, so can you do this? To, can we do this tomorrow? Yeah. I've, you got I've a got, whole thing on this? Yeah, I got a whole, a whole breakdown of it. Okay. If you want it. Well, of but, course we do. We liked informed opinions around here. Well, back then, it was, everyone was just tired about talking about Mixon as well. And I just wanted once and for all to end that conversation because it just didn't make sense. But anyways... Besides that, um, how about the draft show? That's awesome, Tom. That yeah, is. It's going to be really fun to watch with all those guys. 
Well, you better not be thin-skinned if you're joining in on that podcast. Because <laughs> it better be a pic that Zim likes. Oh, yeah. Or women and children run for the hills. <laughs> are, we, uh, are we in the trust tree here? Trust tree? Is that what you just said? Yeah. yeah. Trust tree? Yeah. Are we in that? Because we talked about a cherry on top earlier. Yes. And for the life of me, I cannot remember what it was. It's a kid from Pittsburgh. Yes, that is exactly it. Yep, I'll pull it up. You're right. Got yeah, right trust here. tree is kind of like safe space. Yeah, that's right. Safe space. All right. I, if I see no more people talk about this Viking helmet that I wore, and th this being the reason why the Reds are losing, I mean, jinxes don't exist. Right? Jinxes don't exist. Tom, and you want the video of him getting called up, or do you want the video of him walking into the locker room the first time? You know what? I want him getting called up. Because, okay, so though, if though, for those of you that did not see this story, okay, this is the story of Drew. Or did they pronounce it? I heard Maggie. Maggie. Okay, this is the story of Drew Maggie. And the video you're going to see uh, is his manager uh, at Double A Altoona. Um, and this young man, Maggie, has played. Okay, he has played since coming out of Arizona State University. He has played in 1,155 games in the minor leagues. 13 years in the minor leagues. So here he is. He shows up double A, ready to do his job the other day. And this is his manager addressing the team. Uh, how life is like a journey. Um, we talked about three words. We talked about perspective. We talked about choice. We talked about grit. Um, we also talked about how that can be a really important um, springboard for this group as we went into the season um, with the natural difficulties of, of baseball and also life, right? And so um, baseball is like this wonderful microcosm to to, to everything that we do and the reason why we why we navigate every single day and so um the one thing i forgot to talk about was all of that was in, in an effort to not only win but give yourselves one plus day in the major leagues right and there's some of us that have had the chance to be in the major leagues um and it was for one day and there's going to be some of us going to get a chance to take that one day and turn it into a one plus and so it is with great pleasure that I get to promote uh, my first person to the major leagues and someone that is tremendously uh, important to this group and someone that exemplifies grit, a choice to continue to fight for what he wants in life. And a lot of that is having the right perspective. And so, um, so Maggie, we're gonna get an opportunity to drop. <laughs>
I mean, it, it, it doesn't get any cooler than that. 1,155 minor league games over the course of 13 minor league seasons. He said he kept telling himself over and over, I, and this is what I was saying to you on a much smaller scale about Jack Nungy in basketball, right? I mean, I, you know, I, this kid just kept saying, man, I love baseball. I, I'm keeping the dream alive. And, you know, there's nothing I'd rather be doing. So he just kept playing. The thing that broke my heart, and I mean, that made me tear up a little bit watching that thing when I saw it the first time. I mean, because I, I, I've met so many of those young men who they never got that moment. I can't tell you how much it bothers me that they did not put him in the game over the weekend. I can't tell you how much it bothers me. The only reason this young man was called up is because they had a player that went on the bereavement list. And I don't know how many days that is. I think it's five. Okay? He was called up Thursday. They played Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. He did not get into the game one time. I just think that there, there is a serious disconnect there somewhere in the world. That you just played four games and all of them were tight games and Major League Baseball games. You mean to tell me you can't find one defensive replacement? You can't find one pinch hit at bat to get that kid in the game over the weekend? Boy. Oh, boy. I, I mean, I, there are very few things in sports that get me angry. I was angry. That kid did not get in a game this weekend. Been waiting 13 years to get to the big leagues. And he sits on his tail for four days. Best four days of his professional life, no doubt. Am I wrong on that? No, he didn't get in. No, am I wrong about no. the reaction to it? That they no. can't find a single one play, one batter. He can't get in a game for four days? It's sad. I mean, I'm I thought he only got called up on Sunday though. No. I think it was I think it was just yesterday, Tom. I think it was just I thought he was called up on I thought he got unless I read it wrong, I, I, I think, thought he got called up on Friday. Yeah, they, they selected his contract on Sunday. So it was it was just yesterday's game. And so, that was a close game. So he has still has some time to play. As well, I don't know when they're going to send him back down. They might have just sent him back down. It was just yesterday, though, Tom. Well, then they then then, then the article that I read then had the thing screwed up because th that video. Yeah. Okay. So now they're saying he got into Pittsburgh Saturday. Yeah. Right. Yep. And they activate him for Sunday. Okay. Then I'm gonna. I'm going to back off, and I'm going to leave that alone, and we're going to celebrate the fact that he's in the big leagues. I would like to think – let's check out the schedule here real quick. I would like to think, and that's on me for messing that up, the Pirates are off tonight, if I'm reading this correctly, and we will open a series against the Dodgers tomorrow night at home. And the, and the Pirates are the hottest team in the league. I mean, they got it going on. Nice helmet, Case. 
Yeah, I was just tired of people saying that the helmet's the reason why they're losing. That's just not the case, Tom. This team is just bad. Okay? Jinxes don't exist. Y'all can relax. This helmet is staying here in the studio, and I will wear it with pride. Because... NKU. North up, but also in reference to our fallen comrade, Leif Erickson, who just... He's gone, Tom. Where is Lee? What do you mean he's gone? He was around last week. He was here Friday. He said he was. No, he wasn't here Friday because he said Thursday. He said he was revoking his viewership of the show because it had fallen because of Casey's hammer with the block button. I tried. I tried to apologize. And Casey Chatterbox, killed Leaf Erickson. Chatterbox trying to promote him to moderation, but he would not pledge his loyalty to Chatterbox. So I don't know. I. Leaf quit the chat. Leaf quit on you guys. He quit on you. He did. And I, and I take a personal uh, offense to that. I'm with you. He did. Very cowardly of Leaf. I, I, you said that. I didn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> All, All right. right, gentlemen. Casey, thank you. Paul, thank you. Absolutely. Tomorrow, Tom. Paul Docter will be with us. Uh, Tracy Jones will be with us. We're working on a couple of other guys that really likes trying Mary to get Kay, some right. What's that? Mary Kay coming on tomorrow? Oh, uh, yeah. Mary Kay Cabot coming on tomorrow. So looking forward to that. Uh, really got to get somebody from the Ravens before we hit Thursday. Uh, like I said, I've reached out to, to four or five different guys. I mean, look, maybe that tells me something I need to change in some way. I mean, Lee, or not leave. And Graven was really good. Why don't we just get him back? He was great. I loved him. And so if we get him back, that'd be great, too. But I want to, you know, I, I want to get some insight on, on, on where they really think this whole Lamar Jackson thing is. Because we are now up against it, officially. For them, yeah. Big time. Big time. All right. We will um, uh, take care of yourself, Paul. Thank you. Absolutely. Is uh, box lunch no coming box up? No box lunch today. No box lunch No today. box lunch today. Okay. All right. Then we're back here tomorrow. Good Lord willing, at 10. We'll see you tomorrow.